Faithful and loving God, we give You thanks and praise today for all that You've done. God, for those who are hurting today, I pray that You'd wrap Your arms around them, that You would strengthen their resolve, let them know that You are there, that You are walking with them through this valley and through this time. For those, Father, who have become complacent and God have not recognized how faithful and good You have been, Lord, I pray that You would speak to their spirits, that You would reprove them this morning. Lord, for those who are suffering and struggling, whether it be with debt or with loved ones or family relationships or work, God, I pray that You would minister to them. Lord, that You would remind them of the grace that is in store in the end and for the grace that is provided today, for the blessings that are next to them and before them. And God, for those who are seeking You, Lord, I pray that You would draw them by the power of Your Spirit to this day. God, we give You thanks. We give You praise for the food that we have to eat today, for the home that we have to go go to this day, for the provisions that have been made for the family that exists in our lives. God, I pray that we would be found as faithful and thankful and generous people for the manifold grace that has been poured upon us. So this morning, Lord, this week we say thank You to the God of the universe. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, I'll be sharing the pulpit with Arnie Atkins, who is the Executive Director of North Texas for World Vision, one of the agencies we work with to sponsor children around the world. And uh, we encourage you to consider doing that if you're not already sponsoring a child. But I want to read to you from the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms 100. It's a passage that I have read before in Psalms 100. And this is the psalm of thanksgiving. Matter of fact, uh, Moses gave this. Uh, this was a song that would be sung uh, even, we think, even back as far as the desert times, because it was a song that was probably given uh, with the thanksgiving offering. We have every reason to believe it was. When people would bring their offering of thanksgiving to the Lord, this is a song that they would sing. It's a song that they would chant in their grateful gratitude to God Almighty. It was a song that was accompanied with an offering. And we're going to give you that opportunity this morning, in just a few minutes, by the way, to give a offering of thanksgiving. And matter of fact, there are, uh, in front of you in the chairs, there are envelopes. And uh, let me just tell you some of the things that can be given to. One, uh, we have already given over $50,000 to benevolent needs right here in our community, close to that. And we will give much more than that by the time the year is over. And so, if you want to give to our benevolence fund to help people right here, you can do that. Uh, we also, of course, are supporting missionaries in Rwanda, uh, or one that will be a family that will be going to Rwanda, Tanzania. We are doing clean water efforts there in Tanzania, in a village in Haiti. As a matter of fact, there are a couple of trips you can see information uh, about that if you're interested in going to Haiti. Uh, and, and, and that's not for the weak of heart, I'll tell you. Uh, there's also a trip to Africa uh, in which we'll be working with children there and partnering with another church that we've helped plant. And so there's lots of opportunities. But however God is asking you uh, to participate, I want to encourage many of you, matter of fact, over 700 of you, helped participate in feeding my starving children. And so uh, however God leads you to give, uh, we want to invite you to give an offering of thanksgiving this day, particularly for those who are less fortunate than we are. 
in the psalmist uh, is this is a psalm for those who can give, those who could give. <laughs> they could bring an offering of thanksgiving. It's a recognition that everything is from God. And it starts off with that wonderful song that we've sang so many times before. Shout to the Lord. Shout for joy to the Lord. All the earth. All the earth. He's not just talking about us right here. He's not just talking about the, the believers here in North America. He's talking about, shout to the Lord all the earth. I want, to, I want you to know of the glory and the goodness and the greatness of our God. Do you realize that that's the whole reason God chose the nation of Israel to be His people, to be His children? It wasn't just so He could start an exclusive club and say, no, we're the children of God and you're not. Too bad. Sorry, you missed out on it. Nah, 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 nah. Sometimes we think it's so exclusive. But this is the way it was meant to be. They were meant to be a light to the world, to the other nations, so that they would see the goodness of Yahweh God and be drawn to Him. They were to be the missionaries. They were to help the strangers and the foreigners to see the light and to see the glory of Yahweh God so that they too might shout to the Lord, all of the earth. Worship. Your word, your translation may use the word serve. It is meant to be understood in the context of worship is not something we say, it's that. But it's something that leads us to do and to act. Serve. Worship the Lord with gladness and come before Him with joyful songs. Know. The Lord is God. Do you know that He is the God of the universe? Do you know Jesus as Savior today? If we do, then it ought to give us cause to be grateful and thankful and to shout the good news of Jesus Christ. It is He who made us and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter the gate, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Enter with a spirit of thanksgiving, an act of thanksgiving, a heart of thanksgiving, and his courts with praise and give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. God is good all the time. God is good. And his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Be thankful. Be grateful. Shout the goodness of the Lord. Let the other generations come to know Him. Let them see Him. Let your children and your children's children see it. Today, I'm so thankful for so many things. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my great wife. I'm thankful for my children. I'm thankful for neighbors. I'm thankful for friends. I'm thankful for this church that God has given us that cares enough about the community to work right here. You know, our church right now is helping a family. So many times we think that it's only across the sea. People say, what are we doing right here? Do you recognize there are families here that have lost their homes? We're helping a family right now, a family of five children that lost their home and literally was living in a hotel. And we've helped provide them housing, provide Thanksgiving, provide things that they need. Many of you have been a very, very active part of that. There's a small group that's adopted them. God is doing 
things here in this community, but not just in this community, within our state. And there are other ministries through CCA and Cornerstone that God is leading us to be more a part of, as well as the nation of Haiti, as well as our missionary in Tanzania in which we're supplying clean water and adopted a village there, as well as Rwanda, the Finleys who will be moving over there to a a war-torn country, to a country that needs much healing. And then there's Haiti, right across the lake. You know what, here's a challenge for you. I was just over on the border here a couple of months ago, a few months ago. I want you to pray about going. We're going to send about six or seven people over there. And, and let me tell you, it's, it's kind of scary. I'll just tell you right now. Not, and you're not going to get killed, all right? And if you don't want to get cholera, don't drink the water, all right? We'll, we'll help take care of you, all right? But I want you to think about it. I want you to pray about it. And it's not for the light of heart. I mean, it's not a, it's not a oh, that's kind of cute. That's kind of nice. That's not what it is. I'll tell you right now. I mean, it's heartbreaking, gut-wrenching, about as bad as you'll ever see. But I want you to pray about it. If we are the body, why aren't his arms reaching? I'll give you the opportunity. Pray about it. Think about it. And there are other trips coming up too. Yes, let's get involved right here. That's why over 700 of you did that this weekend. And you're going to see some of the fruits of that. But God is calling us to shout to the Lord to all the earth. So that means here. That means locally, statewide, nationally, and internationally. I want to ask Arnie to come and share practically from the book of James kind of what God is implicating to us today. And then I'm going to come back in just a moment here. Thanks, Ron. Tag team sermon, does that make me not to or is that... Um... Uh, <clears throat> you don't want to see me wearing stretchy pants. It's not a good thing. I uh, am privileged to get the chance to be here and speak to you guys today. I've been with World Vision for about 10 months now, and if you're like me, you what you know about World Vision is sponsoring a child, or maybe you've been in the gift catalog and bought a goat for a family in Africa. Um, I, it's an amazing thing when my mother, who lives in a town in Oklahoma that's got like 20 people in it, can make a micro-loan to someone in Asia for starting a business. It's an amazing organization. But if you're like me a year ago, you might not know that World Vision works here in the U.S. And uh, 10 or 15 years ago, there were some folks who started saying, you know, we've got poverty situations right here in the United States. And some folks started World Vision U.S. programs, of of which I'm a part. Um, It's an amazing thing to get to be a part of a great organization and serve the needs of people um, throughout North Texas. But if you're like me, I mean, here we're coming into Thanksgiving. It's Christmas time. It's the time of year where everybody's thinking about serving, about Thanksgiving, about doing good things. A friend of mine went to CCA to donate some stuff yesterday, and there were 17 cars in line in front of him. He tweeted, 17 cars. He's having to wait to, to donate. It's that time of year where we... Maybe we feel a little twinge of guilt, and so we begin to to give back. We begin to think about how do we do that. And every day, as I drive from here to South Dallas, where our offices and warehouse are, and see the organizations and churches that we partner with who serve the needs of the poor in West Dallas and South Dallas and in Halton City and all the different parts of North Texas, it's a real balance for me, and probably, I would guess, a balance for you of... Okay, I, I'm, I'm doing okay 
oh man, I feel really guilty. I can't do enough. And I, I read in the Dallas Business Journal, um, not this last week's issue, but the one before, the 75022 zip code, where we are now, where, where I live, maybe where many of you live, is second only to South Lake as far as the most wealthy zip codes in North Texas. How do I balance living in a place like Flower Mound with the people that I see on a weekly, daily basis in West Dallas who often have lost their homes? Or maybe who bought their homes 40 years ago, the home is paid for, but they lost their job 10 years ago. And so even though they don't have a mortgage, they can't pay for maintenance, they can't buy food, they literally often starve in their own homes in the midst of this country one of the greatest and most wealthy nations in the world. How do we balance that guilt thing? My desire here today is not to heap guilt on any of us, but to challenge us to think, how does a grateful lifestyle begin to change us? I'm going to use James chapter 2. If you've got your scriptures, if you wouldn't mind turning to James chapter 2, uh, it'll also be on the screen. I'm using the English Standard Version. And in the context here, James is, is challenging the people he's teaching not to just be people who hear the, the teaching of God and then, and then think, okay, I'm okay with that, but to actually become people who do it. James chapter 2, I'm going to start in verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly... And a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you, the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, I always thought that was a weird comparison. Oh, I've, I, I've never murdered, I mean, I, yeah, I cheat on my wife, but I've never, I, I, I mean, uh, I would never cheat on my wife. But I've, I've murdered somebody, but, you know, that's not as bad. I, I just, it always strikes me as funny. Um, I don't commit adultery, but I have murdered. Um, if you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's why I know we don't have to struggle with guilt today. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Verse 14, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed, and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. A grateful lifestyle, a lifestyle that overflows with our response to the love of God for us, is one who I think first 
knows that it's more than just words, but it's also action. You can just picture, this was a really challenging time in the period of the early church where um, persecution was coming pretty heavily on, not just on um, the Christians, but on all of Jerusalem. And the Romans were bearing down on the Jews who had begun to rebel against them. And so the church in Jerusalem was very, very poor. And you can imagine that as someone who was poor walked into the assembly, it was real easy for somebody to say, hey, shalom to you. Be warm and be filled. Shalom, this idea of peace, this idea that God's peace be on you. But what James is saying is that it's more than just your words. We say shalom to people today. I mean, every day, every week, we engage people who need something more tangible from us than our words. And we will often use our own culture's version of shalom. I'll pray for you. We look at someone's circumstances and we think, wow, this, you know, this is America where we're, we're rugged individuals and we pull ourselves up by own, our own bootstraps and we make judgments about where people are and how they got there. And so our own version of shalom is often, I'll pray for you. I hope you do well. Or even worse, just ignore. I'm so guilty so many times in my life of seeing a person in need and because that need makes me uncomfortable. It's like, okay, just just look straight ahead. Don't even think about um, making eye contact with that. But James challenges us that it's more than just words, but actions. The second thing I think that is there um, is that we should never focus on outward appearance. This whole idea, we live in a culture that genuinely looks at what someone says on the outside. Ron's been teaching through the life of David, and we saw early on how um, Samuel the prophet went to find the next king of Israel because Saul's anointing had been taken away. And he goes to the house where David lived, and he finds first David's oldest brother and sees the brother and thinks, man, this has got to be the one. And God challenged Samuel. I don't look on the outward appearance. I look at the heart. We need to become people who practically, as we see the people we come into contact with, don't look at the outward appearance, but look at how God has given everything to redeem that one. The third thing I think is that um, in this whole passage, this whole idea that we need to, gracious living means we treat everyone as a neighbor. You remember the story from the life of Jesus, how a lawyer came up to him and said, Good teacher, what are the great commands? What are the things that we really knew? What are the most important commandments in all of the Scripture? And Jesus said there are two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the lawyer said, Hmm, who's my neighbor? And Jesus told this great story that we've come to call the parable of the Good Samaritan. The point of that story is this. Our neighbor is anyone whose path we cross or whose path crosses ours. There doesn't have to be prior relationship. It doesn't have to be somebody that's in our culture, somebody that speaks our same language, somebody that has the same work ethic that we do. If someone in need crosses our path, God has providentially put them there for us to give. I went on Wednesday of this week, I drove down and spent a couple of hours with Jimmy Dorrell, 
some of you may know who Jimmy Doral is. He's the director of Mission Waco. And when Jimmy Doral and his wife Janet went to college at Baylor in the 70s, they were overwhelmed as they did a little bit of work with their church in parts of Waco that are incredibly poor. Waco, for the size of the city, is one of the poorest, has one of the highest percentage of people in poverty in all of Texas. And as they did this work, it really it broke their hearts. It challenged their hearts. And as they left, and uh, he came in, in, to Southwestern and went off to seminary and did a few other things early in his ministry career, but they could never get Waco out of their hearts. And eventually God called them back to Waco, and not just to go to Waco and pastor, but literally to go and be a pastor to the broken, the most impoverished people in the city. They moved into the neighborhood. They raised their children for nearly 30 years. They've lived now in this same home that they bought in this run-down, broken-down community. He pastors a church called Church Under the Bridge that meets under I-35 there in Waco. He has started businesses that employ people who are formerly homeless. And Jimmy Doral has had an incredible calling to reach out to people in his life. If you're like me, I look at that and think, man, I can't do that. I can't be that kind of person. What God calls us to do, though, is not just to think about grateful living and giving at Thanksgiving, but whatever the context and circumstances of our life, how do we become grateful people every day? The great news is that God didn't call you or I to be Jimmy Doral. He called Jimmy to be Jimmy. But he called you and I, planted us where we are now, put the neighbors in our path that we have now, so that whatever their needs are, break our hearts. Bob Pierce, the founder of World Vision, as he traveled Asia as a war correspondent, began to pray, God, break my heart with the things that break yours. And that mission has defined what we do with World Vision now for so long. And it can become a defining moment for you in Flower Mound, in Haiti, around the world. very familiar passage of scripture that we've all seen and heard multiple times, but I think is very appropriate in his telling. Jesus is speaking and he's teaching about who are the true followers of his in Matthew chapter 25. And he tells this story. He tells this fact in Matthew chapter 25, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came in to visit me. Then the righteous will answer the Lord. When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brethren of mine, 
you did for me. As most of you know, over 700 people, matter of fact, some of them still over there at West Point right now, are packing meals. 150,000 meals, which is is almost mind-boggling. 150,000 meals. And we're doing them all for about a quarter a meal. You know, I don't know that we can any longer say, I, I think what our church is trying to do is say, let me make it as easy as possible for you to participate and to help make an impact. And that's kind of like the elementary level. It's, it's where we can bring our children in and say, hey, there are people less fortunate and we're going to make a difference. We're going to supply food and you're going to help do it. Yes, we have neighbors too. Yes, there are people in our community there are people in our nation and there are people in countries like Haiti. The question is, what is God calling you to do? I, I can tell you this, it's, it's not to just listen. I think that's why Jesus gave this passage, lest we think that coming to church changes our life. Lest we think that saying a prayer at our meal changes anything. Yes, we are to have a grateful heart and we must start there. But we don't truly have a grateful heart until the grace flows from our thanksgiving. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in and clothe you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, when you've done it, for the least of these. When you packed a meal, when you gave, when you helped, when you went, when you served, when you went overseas, when you gave to those who do, when you prayed and put feet with your prayers, the king will reply, I tell you the truth, when you did to the least of my brothers, then you've done it to me. And really not until. Let's pray for just a moment. <clears throat> and I want us to uh, certainly tell God thank you for what you have. Recognizing that 25 if you only had 75 cents a day, we don't even know how to fathom that. We don't even know how to fathom on living on 75 cents a day. And it's because we can't fathom that. It's because we cannot understand it. It's because that seems like another planet that we recognize the immensity of blessing that we've received. So give thanks for a moment. And as you give thanks, say, God, how do you want to continue to use me? Is there a child you need to sponsor? Is God calling you to go and to serve somewhere? Whether it be in our children's ministry here where we have children who don't have their parents anymore that are, are here. And we have children here that don't have parents that know Christ. Is that in one of the community organizations that we work with and we partner with? Is that sponsoring a child through World Vision or through Feed the Hunger? I don't know what God's calling, but I can tell you this, that His people are calling, and that is His voice. His children are calling, 
And yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so, and that's the most amazing truth that we could ever know. But it's not just that Jesus loves you, it's that He loves all the children. And the way that He has chosen to primarily use His Spirit to change their lives is through us. It's through His people. To let them know that Jesus loves them. This weekend's a good start, but we want to continue from here. What is God saying to you today?